The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the seventh chapter. After, all, after Jesus had finished all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave whom he valued highly and who was ill and close to death. When he heard about Jesus, he sent some Jewish elders to him, asking him to come and heal his slave. When they came to Jesus, they appealed to him earnestly, saying, He is worthy of having you do this for him, for he loves our people, and it is he who built our synagogue for us. And Jesus went with them, but when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to say to Jesus, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. Therefore, I did not presume to come to you, but only speak the word and let my servant be healed. For I also am a man set under authority, with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and the slave does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him, and turning to the crowd that followed him, Jesus said, I tell you, not even in Israel have I found such faith. When those who had been sent returned to the house, they found the slave in good health. The Gospel of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. So we hear in this gospel something that I've always found to be very interesting, the story of the centurion. There, there in, the, in the Bible, there are a couple of different stories where we hear of leaders who aren't from the, from the core group of God's people, the, the Jews, one of them that comes to mind is uh, Naaman, who was cured of his leprosy. And one of the things that we see in these people who aren't from around here is that a lot of times they seem to have more respect for God's leader than God's own people do. I, I think in some ways it's because uh, familiarity can breed contempt. You know, I've, one of the things that I notice that's different between being someone who is a pastor in the synod and being a pastor in a congregation is in a congregation, now not this congregation, because none of this would happen in St. David's, but other congregations, mostly in Irmo. In a, in a congregation, sometimes people argue about things. You know, for instance, what color should the carpet be? You know, and, and we get sometimes so wrapped up in the little things that we get to fussing about that sometimes I think we can forget why we're really here, what we're really called to do, what it is that the people of God are called to be in the world. We can forget those promises sometimes that we make at baptism that we, saw, that we made with Sarah today. Sarah, right? Excellent. And, you know, promises that will teach the Lord's Prayer, that will teach her what it means to be a fam part of the family of God, that will teach her the faith, that will bring her up in a way that helps her to see that the truth of this family of God is that in our family, water is actually thicker than blood. Because through the waters of baptism, we receive a new family. We receive our eternal family. We receive the family who will stand with us during our joyous times through things like confirmation, things like graduation, through our marriage. For me, I got to be ordained at the place where I, where I grew up, Christus Victor in Irmo. You know, the church family at Christus Victor has stood with me for... I don't know, 30 some odd years now. And even though I haven't been a member there for quite some time, when I think of my family of faith, 
they are a big part of the cloud of witnesses that I see as people who taught me and sustained me and helped me even today. We forget sometimes what it means to be a part of the family of God when, when we're stuck in the day-to-day mundane fussing that we get involved in. Like what it means to be a child of God who comes to the altar seeking the body and blood of Christ, seeking the forgiveness and new life that we receive through body broken and blood shed by remembering that we too are people who are not perfect, but yet not by what we do, but what, by what God does in us. We receive the love, we receive the forgiveness, we receive the grace, we receive the new life, the restoration and the hope of what God will work in us that we too are saints of God, not because we're perfect, but because where God is, God's people become saints. We forget sometimes what it means to be a part of the family of God and to be people who are under God's authority because sometimes, once again, I'm certain not here, we are people who need that confession, that reminder that we are people who are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. And we yearn for those words that I yearn for. As a called and ordained minister of the Church of Christ, I declare to you the entire forgiveness of all your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those words that remind me that even though, yes, I remain captive to that thing within me that causes me to rebel against God, God has a plan for that, a plan to restore me and redeem me and renew me and forgive me, and bless me. Even though my heart sometimes wants what it wants, rather than what God wants. And so I I hear this story of the centurion, and I, I hear in this the story of a leader outside of the people of God who seems to to trust God sometimes more than what I feel like I could trust God. He's a person who says through friends of his, because he doesn't feel worthy to come before Jesus. I, too, am someone who is in authority. I'm accustomed to telling people what to do, and they do it. I say to one, come, and they come, and to the other, go, and they go, and to my slaves, I say, do it, and they do it. And so I know that you who has authority, you don't need to be in my house to do this. You, You can make this happen from where you are, There's no need to lower yourself to come into my presence. You know, isn't that trust? uh, I'm someone who occasionally will check back behind people because I'm not entirely certain they're going to do those things they're supposed to do. You know, I'm I'm someone who a lot of times, if, if there's a way for me to do it quietly so no one knows that I'm doing it, I'll definitely check behind them, you know? I I have trouble sometimes trusting that an email has been sent so I'll go back and I'll go through my sent emails and make sure that it's sent. But if you, if you knew the synod servers, you might understood, understand why. You know, I'm, I'm someone who a lot of times, you know, because I, I tend to have a rebellious heart that rebels against authority, who, who questions God so hard that I'll spend entire car trips or entire nights wondering, you know, are you doing what you say you're going to do? Not because I've ever seen God not be faithful, but because I know my heart. And because I know that sometimes doubt 
is a faithful way of being in relationship with God. Because by exploring these moments of doubt and by pushing into them, we're able to be reminded that God is faithful, even beyond our own trust and understanding. Sometimes, sometimes doubt is a healthy way of exploring our relationship with God. Again, not because God's not faithful, but because we are not used to being in relationships where we can fully depend on anybody, right? One of the things that, that my wife will say on occasion, hypothetically, is, you know, why didn't you do that thing that you said you were going to do? Uh, for instance, again, hypothetical is taking out the trash. You know, why isn't the trash on the curb? It's, it's Wednesday morning. You know, we, and one of the things that's true in our relationship is that I'm someone who needs to hear words that reassure me of her love. I'm someone who needs to hear her say that she loves me and she misses me and all those little things that we send in text messages back and forth throughout the day. But she's someone who doesn't so much need to, wor- to hear the words. She's a show-me kind of person. She needs to see the actions. She needs to, to see that I love her through the things that I do. And when I remember to do them, then she remembers that I love her. And when I forget to do them, obviously it's because I don't love her in the way that she, she thinks I should. It's a, it's a hard thing to trust people. It's a hard thing to rely on people. It's a hard thing to, know, to believe in your heart that everything someone else says is going to be true. And because these are the kinds of relationships we're used to, these imperfect relationships, these relationships where people let us down, these, these relationships where even though maybe the only thing we crave is that the other person will love us in a way that shows us that we are known and valued. Something that probably a lot of us spend a lot of our lives doubting that anyone knows us, anyone values us, anybody really understands us. When, when we're in the human relationships that are supposed to be the closest ones and we so often feel let down, it's not hard sometimes to wonder whether even God can be that faithful because we only have other human relationships to look at. And yet, here is the centurion, who is so positive in the power of Jesus that if he is who he says he is, that he will not only be able to do this, but that he doesn't even have to come anywhere close to his house, that he sends people on his behalf, reminding Jesus of the authority that he has. And Jesus is shocked and says, Not even in Jerusalem have I seen this kind of faith. And sometimes I wonder when I read this story whether Jesus isn't partially shocked because maybe it hasn't even occurred to him that this authority isn't something that he necessarily even has to be physically present to impart. You know, in in Luke chapter 7, we're still pretty early on. Jesus hasn't even sent the disciples out. You know, I like to think that sometimes that human part of even Jesus can be surprised by, by the things that people say and do, that sometimes even the human part of Jesus can, can learn something new. We certainly see the relationship between God and God's people shift throughout the course of the Bible. It's interesting to see the way Jesus shifts in his ministry throughout the Gospels. So... As, a, as we think about the authority of God, the authority of Jesus in our lives, 
you know, I, I also realize that I'm a person who, and this will surprise Emily because I know you've never seen this part of me, who rebels against authority. Yeah, yeah I know, never. You know, as someone who, who has trouble with authority, you know, I, I hear this authority of God and it, it stirs up that part in my heart that doesn't want to be told what to do that doesn't want to listen to anybody, that's absolutely convinced, and again, I'm certain nobody here has this problem, that's absolutely convinced that I know what's good for me, sometimes even better than what God knows is good for me. You know, that's probably another reason that I, that I struggle with, with trusting God sometimes. It's because I recognize my own rebellion. I recognize my own willfulness. I recognize in myself, as I think about the authority of God, the wisdom of God, the ability of God to have a plan for my life that's better than what I can plan. And I recognize that part of the cross that I bear in my relationship of faith with God, and remember, the cross isn't just something that's kind of like, a, oh, he wears glasses, that's his cross to bear. The cross is that thing upon which we die the thing that separates us from God, the thing that separates us from relationships with others. And I recognize that part of the cross that I bear in my relationship with God is my tendency to be so willful that I don't trust what God tells me to do. The good news for me in this that I carry into my life, part of what we tell Sarah this morning Part of what we hear is as we renew our own commitment to baptism, as we baptize one more sibling into the family of God, is that God is God of that place in our hearts too. God is the God of our rebellion. God is the God of our brokenness. God is the God of our sin. And God has a plan for that. God has a way to redeem that. God has a way to restore that. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God comes into our space and invades it and conquers it and declares that this is where new life begins. So as we begin to go out from this place and we go into the world where we live our everyday ministries, how do we take this with us? What do, what do we do with this? I think for me, the thing that I carry with me is the knowledge that God's authority doesn't rest and my willingness to accept it, God's authority is absolute because that's what God is. And I hear in that God's call daily to learn day by day, word by word, act by act, choice by choice, to accept what God is calling me to do in the world. And it looks an awful lot like those baptismal promises to remember to be kind, to remember to be gentle, to remember to teach people through the things I say and do, those things about our faith that are important, the love of God, the presence of the Holy Spirit, the difference that baptism makes in my life, and be nourished by the meal that God gives us through the death and resurrection and the body and blood of Jesus. How is it that as you go out from this place, you are going to show people Jesus, that you are going to show that your obedience to Jesus makes a difference in your life. How is it that you are going to proclaim the gospel in your everyday thoughts, words, and deeds? Amen.